Morning. Morning. Okay. First questions. Do you boast? Wrong questions. All of us boast. <laughs> Whether loudly or subtly. Whether internally or externally. We all boast. Uh, the question is, what do we boast about? And why do we boast? Uh, now we have a much bigger audience to boast. Social media. Uh, while preparing for this, I'm going to ask myself, as well as a few people, and I checked the internet, why people post online? Why people post online on social media? Um, yes, the pictures of the holidays, the fish they catch, the loved ones, young and old, the food that they enjoy, all the various things that they can do. Why do people post online? Uh, some say they want to share their joy. It's just something so exciting, they cannot keep it to themselves. They want to share. Some want to stay connected with people so that people know what's happening. Some want to uh, keep a record of uh, shared memories, good memories that they can and have a record for. Some want to inspire and encourage people. But most of us, whether we like it or not, there's a tinge we desire to boast. Boast about something that we have, something that we do, and then um, the question is, why do people brag, whether in person or online? You look at the online, particularly online, we filter it, we crop it, we try many tries, we edit our comment here and there, and then uh, I say these things because these are the things that I do. Uh, and we do various things, and then we choose, we normally we only post good stuff, we don't post all the negative stuff. And then... And let me ask myself, let me ask people, why do we brag about ourselves, uh, either in person or online? Yes, we do have a desire to want to spread the joy, desire to be excited, to be proud about. But as I look around, and I, 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 I do some research, I say that sometimes people brag, it's because they want to compensate for a low level of self-esteem. There's a negative self about themselves, so they were doing time to make something to make them feel good to compensate. In uh, psychotherapy, it's called a defense mechanism, trying to fit in or cover up for a shortfalls. And people brag so that they can be accepted and they want to fit in. And they want to feel good. And guess what? Scientifically, it's also mentioned when you brag, talk about yourself, actually, it makes you feel good. So people boast because they want to feel good, they want to feel important, they want to feel validated. And deep down in our hearts, there is this desire to be appreciated. That is the natural conditions of our heart, of all the, that we have. Question for us is, are all boasting bad? It all depends on who and what we are drawing attention to and why do we boast. So today, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. What are some healthy and good boasting that will promote um, security, confidence, growth in your life? That's going to be helpful for, for not just for yourself, but the people around you. And what are some kind of unhealthy or bad boasting that will offend people, disappoint you and make you anxious and you will stunt your growth? So we're going to look at this 1 Corinthians 1. And we're going to start a new series here. 
a new series on 1 Corinthians from now all the way until September with a break in between here and there. And we'll cover very interesting topics. And I hope that you will really look forward to it. I've been studying it and I enjoy it a lot, thoroughly. And then uh, please join us in also in your cell group discussions on 1 Corinthians. If you are not in any cell group, this is a good time to join because in the pulpit, we only have 40 to 45 minutes. I cannot cover a lot of things. Today, I string it in a way that it can be helpful for you. So come, let's look together at this city called Corinth. This city, Corinth, okay, it's a port. It's still there in Greece. It's a very important place at that ancient time. And then uh, it's a commerce centre where it draws people from various people. That's why it become a cosmopolitan city. A lot of people go there for trades. And two-thirds of them were slaves because a lot of uh, commerce was happening. And these people there, they are philosophically, they are very obsessed with it. They pride themselves in their pursuit of wisdom or sophia, as well as for knowledge called gnosis. They pride themselves with all these kind of learning. They are also money-obsessed. They are filthy rich and they are very proud of money and they are excited. They are vulgar materialism. The people are there and they are also sex-obsessed. There's a lot of immorality. In fact, there was a, a, a term called uh, to Corinthian domain. In other words, you act like a Corinthians. It refers to people who is living without any morals or rules, particularly in related to sex. And they are also worship ex- obsessed. They worship various kinds of gods. There are many temples, and the most impo- famous one is the temple of Aphrodite. Uh, Aphrodite. Thousands of temple prostitutes are available for people who go there to worship. Interesting city to plant a church. Correct? But I look at the city, I look at the, the, the situations there, actually, actually it's no different from Singapore or various places, just that some are more or some are less. And if you look at Corinthian church, Paul started it during his second missionary journey around. He started the church, and the church, there a lot of diversity and multiculturalism. They were Gentiles, Gentiles are non-Jews, people like us. For them, they're mainly from the Greeks. And there were several Jews, but more Gentiles than Jews. They were slaves as well as the free people there. And they were poor and rich people, but more poorer than rich pe- people. And people come from different worldviews. They were Jews, world, Jewish uh, worldviews. They were Greeks' worldviews. And people who come from various temple kind of uh, worship and worldviews, they come so these people, they became Christians. Though they are a Christian church in Corinth, but there are still a lot of Corinth within the church. Imagine them in the various kind of attitudes and behavior, resulting in divisions in the church, sexual immorality, incest, somebody sleeping with the mother, and then they're proud of it. There were lawsuits within the church. There were marriage issues, marriage problems there. And there were questions that they said, I'm okay, I can worship idols by eating some of the food. And they are obsessed with various kinds of spiritual gifts and they were abusing the Holy Communion and they were even questioned the very foundations of the Christian faith the Christ raised from the dead. The guy raised from the dead. So they were questioning about all these things. What kind of church is this? It's a church filled with every hot potatoes. Hot potatoes. But... The gospel brings people together that wouldn't be together otherwise. That's the beauty of the gospel. 
people from different worldviews, different backgrounds, different cultural issues, different brokenness within. And they come, and they will bring along their teaching, their beliefs, and they will cause problems in church. There will be morals, issues, they will be relapsed. There is no safe church where no sins abound and without problem. So relax. If we have such a church, it's okay. That's what the gospel is about, to reach out. And Paul seeks to address the issues that faced by the church there by revealing to them what are some of their pre-Christian influences that they are bringing into the church and how the gospel should bring about different attitudes and life change. And Paul basically summarized uh, them, the, the other one. Paul basically is asking about this. Your behavior, your beliefs should conform to the gospel. And that's what caused life change. He's not talking to non-Christians. He's talking to Christian people like us in this area. So today we're going to look at um, boasting. Can you just uh, straight away link, bring me to the boasting page? Thanks. We're going to look at boasting about the right thing. Because why? To the people of Corinth, boasting is a very common practice. Very common practice there. And Paul used this, this word both positively as well as negatively in his letters. The negative will focus more on the human pretensions, the self-exaltation, self-sufficiency, whereas the positive focus on the gospel which will eliminate every negative boasting. So when Paul used this word, what does he mean? On the surface, it, it means to take pride in, to, to glory in. But in this particular context, in 1 Corinthians, he seems to focus more on the concept of trust. In other words, he's saying that to put confidence in, full confidence in. In a nutshell, Paul is saying that we boast in things that we place full confidence in so as to secure ourselves. So Paul is helping us to see what kind of bad post boasting, unhealthy one as well as the good or the healthy kind of boasting. So if you have the Bible, you can turn to it. If not, I can just look at the PowerPoint. We're going to look at the first point. Paul is saying here, you want to boast? You boast in who God is rather than yourself. He starts off with a greetings and a thanksgiving. From the greeting and thanksgiving, you get a hint of what Paul is trying to address in his letter. Come, let's read. We can read with us. Uh, read all together. Shall we? One, two, three. Paul, the apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sostisness to the church of God in Corinth and to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be His holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul here is saying the church all of us, the church here, first of all, is sanctified. In other words, it is set apart to be God's own possessions. And also the church is holy. Despite their lack of, uh, their lack of maturity, Paul still view them as sanctified as well as holy. And then he talks about the church of God. It is the church of God, not church belongs to them. 
and the church of God in Corinth. In other words, talk about the unity they have as well as the universality, the church of God, together with those everywhere. So Paul starts by telling that as Christians, we have obligations to God as well as to each other. Therefore, there's no divisions. And Paul continued to say this. Okay. Okay, I accidentally left out verse 4. Let me read to you. I always thank God for you because of His grace given to you. Paul was giving thanks about this church here. And even though the church was rife with various problem division, Paul believed that God is still at work. And that's good enough reasons to give thanks and to boast about. And then he said this, In Him you have been enriched in every way, in all kinds of speech and, every, and all knowledge. Enriched in every way here is talking about the various spiritual gifts that God has bestowed upon them to build the church. And then he focused on two particular types of gifts. Speaking, logos, knowledge, gnosis. Why? Because these two, are the, these two kinds of uh, gifts, the, the, the people in Corinth were misusing it. And Paul wanted to emphasize this, it does not come from you. By the way, it comes from God. And then he, he mentioned this, Sorry. He mentioned it that God is the one who will confirm them. God is the one that will bless them. If you look at the church in, in Corinthia, why is Paul so positive and so thankful for a church filled with divisions and abuse and immaturity? Why? The answer lies in this. It is not in themselves, but the answer lies in God's character provides the guarantee. And he ends the salutations with this. He will keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is something to boast about. To put confidence because it is secure. There is hope. There is humility. There is motivations for us. When I look at my life and I look at the people around us, I see growth. Yes, I see spiritual maturity. I see giftedness. But at the same time, I look at my life and the people around us, I also see a lot of immaturity, pride, anger, various things to grow in. And then I ask myself, what is going to help me continue to grow? Thank God that it is not dependent on me to make it to the end. It is not because of my willpower, my intellectual ability, my giftedness, my deeds. But it is fully dependent on God. Therefore, nothing to brag about myself. It is God who will enrich us, God who will confirm us, God who will keep us firm, God will keep us faithful all the way to the end. That is why there is hope, there is humility, there is motivations. When I look at the church in Corinth, the church filled with so much problem, yet Paul can give thanks because of who God is. I look at my life, I look at yours, I say there is hope. Because it's all depend on God's faithfulness, not on me. That is why I can boast, boast about who God is. So the first thing to boast is this. Okay, I think I put it, the ballet. That's why I got confused. 
Next is to boast in the scandalous cross instead of our agreeable uh, wisdom. Let's look at verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another with what you say, that there will be no divisions among you, that you will be perfectly united in mind and thought. The key issues here that Paul wants to address in chapter 1 to 4, it's about divisions. Why were they divided? They are divided over the opinions of their leaders, resulting in jealousy, resulting in quarrels. But below the reason of divisions, there is a bigger problem, which Paul will repeat the themes, wisdom and spirituality. They were evaluating and showing loyalty to their leaders based on these two abilities that they have, their wisdom as well as their spirituality. And if they don't meet it, they will switch their loyalty. So that is the underlying problem of the, the, the Corinthians. They were boasting about their leaders based on their wisdom, based on they think what their, their spirituality. So there are four factions here. Bright brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you say I follow Paul, another say I follow Apollos, another say I follow Cephas, well still another I follow Christ. Four factions, the first one, I follow Paul. Maybe because Paul started the church, Paul reached out to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, and they are they feel connected to him. Then the second group, Apollos. Apollos is later on was described as a learned fellow, a learned person, he's good at knowing good knowledge of the scriptures. So it connects with some of the, the Greeks there who, who, who thrive in, excited about wisdom. So they follow Apollos. And third group, we do not know why uh, they mentioned Peter's name there. Maybe Peter started, passed by, have some ministry there. Or maybe they think that Peter, because he is the close disciple of Jesus Christ, so by connected to him, they are like so are called more spiritual. In the midst of all this, the most spiritual one will say, I follow Christ. Not in the, the good way, but in the negative ways that you put down all the other groups as if that they are the only one, the only group. And Paul had to address this divis- divisive spirit there in our midst. Paul starts by asking them a, a series of three questions, rhetorical questions, expecting a, a definite no. He said, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So none can say that they were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. And beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. Okay. What follows is that Paul is not trying to work out a theology about baptism. Neither was he negating baptism. Having said the observed that were you baptized in the name of Paul, Paul goes on to say that he was grateful to God that he baptized so few people. And then he moved on to the crux of the matter. What should they really boast about? The crux of the matter is in the next verse. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, the good news not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. 
So they were boasting based on their human wisdom and their human ability and their fine security in them rather than the gospel. Based on their wisdom and their eloquence of their leaders able to communicate it. And guess what? They are Christians, yet they do not fully understand the gospel. They think that the gospel to them sounds foolish, sounds insulting, and therefore they are not living their lives, their beliefs, as well as their behavior conforming to the gospel. They felt that the gospel is a contradiction to humans' uh, wisdom. It sounds foolish. So Paul has to correct him. Paul has to correct their thinking. So Paul goes on to say this. The message of the cross is foolishness. Yes, but it's only to those who are perishing, to those who do not believe, to those who are lost, to those who receive to accept Christ. But to us who are being saved, who recognize that we need the Lord, what it is? It is the power of God, for it is written, written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. I will frustrate here. And Paul goes on to say, where is the wise people, wise person? Where is the teacher of law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Paul is saying rhetorically, in view of what God has done by the means of the cross, what is left of the wise of this age? Where are now all the teachers of wisdom, both the Jew and the Greek? Has not God by His deeds not only render the wise as foolish, but also nullify their very wisdom itself. And in verse 21, For since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know Him, God has, was pleased through the foolishness of what been preached to save those who are believed. Paul is saying that human beings left on their own, based on all their wisdom, they cannot find the living God. The best they can do is to create God based on their likeness, distorted likeness. A God discovered by human wisdom will be both a projection of human fallenness as well as the source of human pride. And that's why people worship the creature instead of the creator. Then he go on to the crux of the matter. The Jews demand signs. Why? Science means miracle, power, because God has acted for the Jews powerfully before when they bring them out of bondage in Egypt into the promised land. And they expect God to work the same way. Therefore, their Messiah, their Savior, had to be powerful, had to be strong. And then the Greeks looked for wisdom. They were zealous for all kinds of wisdom. At that time, they were very advanced in the Western uh, civilizations. Their idolatry was to conceive of God as the ultimate reason, the meaning, of course, based on what they think is reasonable, reason according to ability for them to be able to understand them. They look for this. My question for us today is, what do you look for as your Saviour, as your God? What do you ask from God? Sometimes, we ask God, you must come through for us. You must come through for me. God, you are so powerful. Why you cannot heal me? God, you are so good. 
Why you don't provide me this job? God, you are so great. Why do you don't provide me this family? Recently, I, I talked to a boy, you know, a BB boy, former BB boy. He said, I went into OCS. I was just one week, uh, one, or two, one or three weeks away from graduating as an officer. And then some of my people sabo me because the, my back couldn't take it. I hurt my back. I didn't finish the course. I cannot graduate as an officer. I don't understand. God brought me there, but why just at the near there? He disappointed me. He disappointed me. And sometimes, same thing. God, you brought me this spouse, this girlfriend. Why it doesn't turn out the way that I hoped it to be? You give me a children. Why my children don't grow up? They are other people's children. You give me a job. Why this job that disappoint? You give me a work. Why this work? Why things don't work out? We want God to be all-powerful to work out the way we feel that is good for us. At the same time, we ask ourselves, God, I don't understand why this, why this. We want a God that will make sense to us in our ability to serve, to serve our own interests. If you look carefully at these two, it seems to be illustrating two kinds of idolatries in our lives. That God must function in all-powerful and all-wise way, both in our thing and our term, according to my best interest, power on my behalf, wisdom like ours. And both of these ultimate idolatries insisting that God to be conforming to our prior view of Him. And it's all for me. All for me. But Paul correct them. Paul said this, we preach Christ, crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles. We preach Christ crucified. Christ crucified. Crucifixion at the ancient time is the ultimate penalty, penalty reserved mainly for who? The rebellious subjects, the slaves, the worst of all the criminals. So to the Gentiles, the cross crucified is a like foolishness, total superstitions, disastrous. And to the Jews, they see the Messiah as come with splendor, come with power. Christ crucified to them is the contradictions. It's like fried ice. Totally cannot accept. Because crucifixion means one that is cursed by God. Weakness, humiliation, defeat. And Christ died as a state criminal, a disgrace to all. And the cr- it's totally offensive. If you look at the word there, stumbling block earlier I mentioned, the word stumbling block, the Greek word is scandalon. That's when we get our word, the word scandal. It means something that offends to the point of arousing oppositions. Something that offends the arousing oppositions. So it was offensive to them. And Paul explained this. But to those whom God has called, both the Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. 
Paul closed his argument by saying that God is both wiser and more powerful than you think. And even, even his so-called foolishness and weaknesses, even greater than human being. It's only by the scandalous death of a sinless God-man Christ that our sins and our guilt can be removed. He's telling them, you have put your confidence, your boasting in the wrong places. To those who think themselves as righteous, does not need forgiveness, they see this as a weakness, scandalous, offensive. But to those who recognize themselves as sinners, in need of mercy, this is tremendous power and good news. The cross is not just offensive then. The cross is offensive today. Listen to what uh, two prominent non-Christian British philosophers said about the cross. The doctrine of the atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross was intellectually contemptible and morally outrageous by Alfred Ayer. And Burton Russell said this, no one who is profoundly human can believe that God would punish sins like that. He called the cross the doctrine of cruelty. I once heard a preacher say this, you have never truly come to grips with the meaning of the cross unless you feel offended by it. He's directing at Christians here. When I think deeper, it makes sense. When I think deeper, it makes sense. Let me ask you, are you offended by the, the cross? Are you offended by the cross? Are you saying that those of us who have worked all our entire life to keep ourselves morally good is in exactly the same place spiritually as those who are terribly wicked? that both of us may have to be saved in the same way. How dare you? Are you saying that people from other religions who have lived a good life, extremely moral in every ways, that if they don't believe in the cross of Jesus, they are lost and condemned forever? How dare you? The cross of Jesus Christ, if you think carefully, it is very offensive in all ways to everybody. And the preachers go on to say this. If you haven't come to grip with it, if you haven't felt its offence, if you haven't struggled with it, you have not fully comprehended the cross and therefore it's not going to change you. That's why we don't boast about the cross. We have not fully grasped how offensive it is. Unless you see yourself as truly equally sinful as Hitler or Chairman Mao, that you will not see your need as a sort of saviour. Unless you see yourself that there is no other way, even your greatest moral goodness, your deeds were never good enough, only the death of sinless God can pay for your sins. You will not fully appreciate Christ's sacrifice for you. The reason why we boast about ourselves, about the things that we have, is because we think that we can still rely on these things to gain approval, validation, and salvation. That will never change you. Short term, yes, it will make you feel good. Long term, you will recognize that these things will fail you. Why? You will get older, your brain will get slower, 
your physical appearance will go away, your children will make different decisions, you will get weaker. These things will not last, but there's only one thing that will last. There's only one boast that is worth it. What is it? Boast in the scandalous cross. Only one way, only one boasting. What it means, it means to fully treasure and fully rely on God, the Lord Jesus Christ, endured on the cross for you. Jesus was jeered so that we can get the applause of God. Jesus was scandalized so that we are not offensive to God. Therefore, I don't need the approval of other people. I have the full approval of Christ when He died on the cross for me. And He suffered for me. Great reason to boast about. First, a boast about who God is. He's faithful. He will keep me faithful to the, to the end. And secondly, I boast about the scandalous cross. And then Paul ends by the third boasting. You need to boast about the Lord. The second and the third boasting is quite similar. Instead of your own achievements. See, the gospel indeed is a contradiction to the human wisdom. And you say, how do you know? Look at you. Of all people, God choose who? God choose you, the foolish people. That's why it's a contradiction. And Paul said this, brothers and sisters, think about what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you of noble birth. You are not beautiful. And you and I, we are the evidence, the divine foolishness that confines the, the wise. And Paul said this, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify things that are so that no one may boast before Him. So what God did at the cross by calling the lowly Christians first exhibits His gracious character and secondly also that He will not be holden, He will not be beholden to the world that people will not boast about themselves but they will only boast of it. It shows the grace of God. And Paul said this in verse 30, it is not because of Him, uh, but it is because of Him that you are in Christ who have become for us a wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, redemptions. Therefore, it is written, let him them, one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. He ends with such a high note in chapter 1. Every time when Paul talks about the gospel, he always mentions boasting. You say, if you boast in the Lord, that's true wisdom. If you boast in anything else, you are foolish. Earlier I mentioned the definition of boasting. It is putting one's confidence in something in order to secure yourself. And I mentioned in the past, also one of my sermon before, what is boasting in ancient time? It's like before they go into the war, the armies, the people in the army, they all line up together and the general come out together. General say, who has the biggest spears? Yeah, we have. Who has the biggest cannon? Yeah, we have. Who has the biggest mouth? Sorry. Who has the biggest general? Yes, we are. We have. They say all these things to boast their confidence that they have it. And Paul say, 
he quoted Jeremiah 9, 23, 24. Jeremiah 9, he said, Let not the wise boast about their wisdom, the strong boast about their strength, the rich boast about their riches. Let the one who boasts boast about this, that they understand to know, that they are understanding to know me. I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, righteousness on earth. On these things I take delight. Paul is saying that all of us boast about something. What do you look for to validate yourself? to strengthen you, to give you confidence to face things, to give you the rah-rah to face the world. Where does your confidence come from? Where does your strength come from? Where does your validation come from? Everyone has something to boast in order to get an identity to find your confidence in. Martin Luther, in his preface, in the commentary to, uh, on the book of Galatians, he said this, when the chips are down, we are almost instinctively point to something that will point to our confidence. Example, well, I'm a good father. Well, I'm a good mother. I work really hard. In other words, he says this, when Satan come and accuse us, we turn to whatever we boast in to find our confidence. Well, I did this, I did that. But the fact of the matter is that whatever we do, our so-called righteousness, they are just filthy wrecks. There's holes everywhere. It is fragile. But the modern-day self-esteem teaching is mostly about boasting. Tell yourself you're strong. Tell yourself you're beautiful. Fake it till you make it. Tell yourself that you can do anything they set your mind in. The social media is full of boasting of this kind. It is helpful in the short run, but it is not helpful in the long, long run. For example, you might boast on your physical body. But once, I fall on my physical prowess. But now that I'm older, I recognize I cannot run. Football, I cannot play the striker. I can only play goalkeeper or the substitutes. It does not last. Mental ability, I can think. But as you grow older, these things will go. I can multitask. I can do a lot of things, but then realize that there are a lot of people faster, better than me. I boast about my loved ones, the people... But I realize that they have their own decisions to make and they may choose different ways than what I expect them to be. I boast of my job. Then the job suddenly was taken away. I boast a lot of things, but these things does not give me security because it is flitting. There's one group of people who boast about things. The other group of people, they look at themselves, Chi Ming, I got nothing to boast about. My family is not good. My health is not good. My spouse is not good. My job is not good. I got nothing to boast about. Whether you have something to boast about to put confidence or you have nothing to boast about, let me tell you today there is one thing that you can truly boast about. One thing that you can truly be excited to boast about. What is this? You can boast in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you. You can fully rely on Christ's achievement for you rather than your own achievement. What did Christ achieve for you? He bought you righteousness. Right standing before God. His righteousness for you. Both in His holiness, He gives you moral cleansing. With His death, He bought for you redemption, deliverance from the bondage of sins. We all can boast about this thing, not in our own achievement, but Christ's achievement. This is lasting. This is permanent. This will give you the security. Because you're in Christ, 
when God looks at you, He doesn't see your sins. He doesn't see your flaws. He sees you as perfect as the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the gospel. And this is something that we go to work. We go to life with. We have that ballast. We have that strong security. This is something that we applaud about. So today, when you go out to the world, when you meet people, when you face challenge, when you say, I got nothing to boast or I got something to boast that is not, you boast about this thing. Let Christ be my righteousness, my holiness, my redemption, not me. You have nothing to do with me. The determining factor is not my past, but Christ's past. Not my name, but Christ's name. Not my record, but Christ's record. When you have that, there is a joy in you. There's a hope in you. There's amazement about you. Me? God chose me. And there's a humbleness in you towards people when you boast in the Lord. So boast in the right thing. Let us pray. Invite, invite just the keyboard. Let's take this time just to just a keyboard. Take this time and let this, let this truth sink into your life. Say, God, thank you that you are faithful. I can boast about you. It's not depend on me. Lord, I thank you for the scandalous cross. It's scandalous because I truly need it. That's the only way. And I boast in the Lord Jesus Christ because His righteousness become your righteousness. His goodness, your goodness. When Christ, God sees you, He sees Christ. This morning as we come before the Lord, if there are things in your life that you have placed confidence in, then you realize that you have been disappointing to you. Today I want to encourage you. Christ is enough for you. He will not disappoint you. He is worth for you to put your full confidence to boast about. this truth sink in and let's pray Lord this morning I want to echo what Jeremiah said let not the wise boast about their wisdom let not the strong boast about their strength let not the rich boast about their riches. Let not the fathers or mother boast of their, their children or the grandchildren. But let the one who boasts, boast that God, they know you. That you are their righteousness. You are their goodness. That you will be faithful to bring us to the end. 
And I pray that this boasting will give us that strong foundations to face whatever the world may give to us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this. In Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Amen. Okay, we end the service here. Sorry, today, stay back. I forgot to mention, please stay back for a short while. We're going to have an AGM.